This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi, and a very, very good afternoon to you. Coming to you live here from Chai FM 101.9 and Judaism 101.9 at 10 minutes past 2 on this Wednesday afternoon here in the Highfelt. And great to be with you on this very, very significant and special day. Today is a significant, powerful Jewish day. There is a lot of stuff, a lot of things that we could have in mind and that we need to think about on this powerful day, which uh, would have and could have a bearing on our lives going forward, not just on um, our spiritual lives, but on our physical well-being as well. We think about today, the fact that today is known as Tubishvat. Today is Tubishvat, otherwise known as Chamisha Asar Bishvat, which is the 15th day in the month of Shvat. So let's begin by discussing, because it is Judaism 101.9, where this festival got its peculiar name from. I actually was sitting with a young Bar Mitzvah boy yesterday, and um, I asked him, um, does he know where the name Tubishvat comes from? And he said, well, does it have something to do with tubes? Is it something to do with tubes, Tubishvat? Well, unfortunately, no, it doesn't have anything to do with tubes. It is tu, tubishvat. And in fact, the word tu is a fascinating, fascinating message in and of itself. Because the word tu, spelt in Hebrew, is made up of two Hebrew letters. And those two Hebrew letters are a tet and a vav. Tu, tet and vav. Now, when we take those two letters and we uh, understand why they are used to represent the number 15, because that's really what it spells, the number 15, it is really, really unbelievably fascinating. In Hebrew, you know, there are no numerals. In Hebrew, the Hebrew letters themselves are the numbers. So the letter Aleph is 1, the letter Bet is 2, the letter Gimel is 3, Dalet is 4, and so on. When we get to... 11, so Yud is 10. When we get to 11, 11 is Yud Aleph, which is 10, 1. Just like in English, or just in our numerals, 11 is 10, 1. It's 1 more than 10. Then 12 is 1, 2, but the 1 stands for 10, so it's 10 plus 2. 13 is 10 plus 3, and so on. Now, that would all follow a great and wonderful logic if we were able to go all the way through, but... We have a problem, because Yud Aleph, 11, works fine. Yud Bet, 12, great. Yud Gimel, 13, perfect. Yud Dalet, 14, fantastic. When we get to 10 and 5, a Yud and a Hey is actually one of God's names. Now, we know from the Ten Commandments, we're not allowed to take God's name in vain. How much more so could we not use Hebrew letters that represent God's name as just a number? Could you imagine you saw that, like on the bottom of a page, it's page number Yud and Hey going together. That means that's page number God. And then, by the way, we have the same thing tomorrow, which would be Ted Zion, that we have the number 16 would then be Yud and Vav, which is also one of God's names that we're not allowed to pronounce, we don't say. So we would have a problem of taking God's name in vain if we used the 10 plus 5 and the 10 plus 6 as a representation of those numbers 15 and 16. So, of course, we're pretty good at mathematics. We know that 9 plus 6 also equals 15. And so Tet is 9, and Vav 
is uh, 6. And so 9 plus 6 equals 15. So 2 really is the number 15. But it's all designed in order that we should not take God's name in vain. But perhaps we could also indicate or understand that that number itself, Tubishvat, is something about God being hidden within everything. If we think about fruit and we think about the trees and all the things that today goes out of its way to celebrate, and we think about the concepts that it brings about of renewal and of um, the great gifts that Hashem gives us, well, how often, and is it not very often, that we pick up a fruit or we pick up any piece of food or whatever it may be that we are perhaps eating or utilizing for our own purpose, and we fail to acknowledge that this was a blessing from God, that God is actually hidden within the fruit, that God is actually hidden within the food, that God is actually hidden within all the physical things that we have at our disposal, and therefore being able to understand the godliness that too actually comes to conceal within itself is a beautiful, beautiful lesson for us as well on this wonderful day of Tubishvat, the 15th of Shvat. Well, how did it come about that the 15th of Shvat is singled out for this special um, attention? We have mentioned it here before. Let's just briefly recap and run through that we know that the 15th of Shvat is one of four firsts of the year, as they're called in the Mishnah or Rosh Hashanahs. There are various different Rosh Hashanahs. Now, it sounds strange, we're going to say, different New Years. Well, it's not really a New Year, it's the head of a year. When we talk about a Rosh Hashanah, there are four that are mentioned in the Talmud. There is the first of Nisan, there is the first of Elul, there is the first of Tishrei, and the 15th of Shvat. Well, you notice right away that it's the only one that's got the number 15. First of Nisan, first of Elul, first of Tishrei all line up nicely with the months, but the 15th of Shvat is bang in the middle of the month. If you take a look at the moon tonight, you'll know that it's a full moon. We're in the middle of the month on the 15th. So what are these four Rosh Hashanahs? The first of Nisan is Rosh Hashanah with reference to the counting of the years in the reigns of the kings of Israel, as well as with reference to the order of the pilgrim festival. So that's the first of Nisan, which, remember, is a couple of weeks before Pesach. The first of Elul is Rosh Hashanah with reference to tithing of animals. All the animals which are born till the first of Elul, Accounted for the previous year, and those born afterwards accounted for the new year and are tithed separately. The tithes may not be taken from animals born one year for those born another year. Since the animal tithe bears the sanctity of this of a sacrificial offering, unlike other tithes, it doesn't apply nowadays. The first of Tishrei, we know, is Rosh Hashanah for the judgment of mankind. It marks the birthday of man um, some 5,778 years ago, and it is the day of the judgment of mankind. The count of Shemitah and Jubilee years were also uh, linked to Rosh Hashanah, which we know as Rosh Hashanah for ourselves kind of thing when it comes to Tishrei, the counting of the first three years of Orla, produce of newly planted trees and grain and vegetable tithes. But then comes the 15th of Shvat, the fourth one here, kind of the different one in the pack, and it says that this is the Rosh Hashanah of trees. Now, why do trees need a special Rosh Hashanah? Well, it had to do with the different tithes which were brought each year, counting towards the seventh of the Shemitah year. 
The same uh, applies to the conclusion of the Orla years. Some hold that it applies to the fruit of the seventh year, so that fruits which begin to ripen before the 15th of the, of the eighth year have the status of fruit of the seventh year. Now, our sages designated the 15th of Shvat as a boundary between one year and another, since most of the rains of the previous year had already fallen. Any new growth of fruit after this day is a result of the blessings of the new year, because when does the blessing for water actually take place? When do we think about and when is the water for a year designated by God? Well, it is all linked with the festival of Sukkot. Really, it should be on the beginning of Sukkot, but we only start to implore God to send us rain at the end of Sukkot so that people would not be chased out of their tabernacles, out of their Sukkot um, on Sukkot because of the bad weather, as sometimes happens. You know, as soon as we build the Sukkot, it starts to rain. Well, water is designated on the first day of Sukkot, which is the 15th of Tishrei. Now, scientifically, it takes four months, 120 days it takes for water to actually bear fruit. If we think about it then, it was a very, very logical conclusion that our sages came to, that the 15th of Shvat is the time when the fruits actually can be counted, can be um, amassed, and can be assessed to be from this year's blessing. So from today onwards, the fruit actually comes from this year's allotment if those fruits are picked tithed and brought as they had to be brought to Jerusalem, had to be brought to the temple, had to be given to the poor. We'll have more about Tubishvat and fruit right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So we have a very, very strange thing, the 15th of Shvat being called the Rosh Hashanah, but in fact, it is not a holiday on which, or not a festival or a marked Rosh Hashanah on which we may not drive, we may not do work and so on. All of those things carry on. The only difference that is made in our prayers is that for the full duration of Tubishvat, of the Chamisha Asabishvat, the 15th of Shvat, we do not say penitential prayers, so no Tachanun penitential. Potential prayers that were said yesterday afternoon preceding this festival. They're not said today for the duration of the day. They won't be said this afternoon at Mincha time. Um, and um, that is kind of the only adjustment that we have made in our prayers. <coughs> but in addition to that, how else do we mark this day? Well, a lot of people know that it's a day that's got to do with trees, and therefore, most appropriately, trees are planted. Well, really, uh, from a Jewish, a spiritual, halachic, Judaism 101.9 point of view, the planting of trees is not really um, the way that this festival is celebrated. The celebration of this day is about celebrating the fruit, and therefore it's customary to eat fruit today, and particularly the fruit with which Israel is blessed, um, and if possible, to eat a new fruit. Now, a new fruit would be a fruit that you have not yet eaten during this year's season of that fruit. So, in other words, a good few months um, have gone by and you haven't had a certain fruit. To be able to take it today and make the bracha shecheyanu on it is regarded as one of the ways in which we celebrate, in which we commemorate, in which we live this particular festival. There is a definite festive mood to this day, and we're told that it has got a lot to do with our recognition of the fact that our physical and um, uh, our um, spiritual blessings um, actually are channeled through our holy land of Israel. So we're referring back to the fruits of Israel, and we're thinking about the power in the soil of Israel, and it is quite an amazing phenomenon, um, just what the Jewish farmers, what the Israelis have managed to do. 
do with uh, places in Israel, there's certainly something about the shidduch, about the um, unity between um, the Jewish people and that holy, beautiful land um, that has extended all the way back to the time of Breshit Bara, from the beginning of the creation of the world, that that land is designated for the Jewish people. The Jewish people have managed to uh, bring fruit and produce out of uh, deserts, out of the most barren of um, uh, places there. I don't know if you know, but um, while we're sitting here today and facing all sorts of crises with water in Cape Town and so on, um, but the land of Israel is not blessed with a great water production, but um, they managed to find systems and find ways, not only of uh, desalinating the water, but of making sure that uh, there is an effective drip system, for instance, which was invented in Israel, and all sorts of other unique and incredible farming techniques that have made it that the land itself is able, the soil of Israel, as infertile as it may seem, as barren as it may seem, as desert-like as parts of it may seem, have been able to bear fruits. And we know that this is something about the blessing of Israel. We know that our water allotment comes through Israel. In fact, our prayers for rain are directly linked to the rainy season in Israel, not necessarily mirroring what happens here, but rainy season in Israel. That is where our water allotment comes from. And um, we, therefore, are recognizing at the same time as we're thinking about the fruit today, we're thinking about the produce of Israel. And how beautiful it is, how wonderful it is, how godly it is that um, there has been this opportunity and this ability to produce um, fruit from Israel. Well, one of the amazing things that is written in a, a, a classical Jewish work called the Book of Bnei Yisachar is that there is a tradition from our forefathers to pray on the 15th of Shvat, in other words today, that God should provide us with a beautiful etrog. Today is the day to start davening for, to think about the etrog that you're going to be privileged, hopefully, to use on Sukkot. So look at how um, the cycle works. We're thinking back to the water that's allotted on Sukkot. We're um, here today celebrating the idea of that tithe for fruits and acknowledging the land of Israel and its rich and incredible blessings that God has showered upon it and brought upon it and continues to give us. And we think then, too, of the etrog, which we will once again use on Sukkot. There is an intrinsic link between the etrog, the fruit, Tubishvat, Bishvat, uh, the water, the allotment of Israel, and the fact that the etrog is this pre Hadar. It itself is praised for being a fruit that actually survives the seasons. Well, here is a complete cycle of uh, the etrog being something that spans all the seasons um, just in our mystical minds and in our uh, thought processes and in our prayers that it takes us from one Sukkot all the way through to uh, the next. So a wonderful idea that today we should think about um, the fruits of Israel. Perhaps we should uh, therefore just take a look at and think about what are the uh, fruits or what are what is Israel actually blessed with? Well, if we take a look um, in the Torah itself, it says it's a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey. So we speak about wheat, barley, vines, fig trees and pomegranates. In the second part, we talk about olive trees and honey. Um, 
Now, when we think about all of those things, we are thinking about not only honey that perhaps comes from the bees, but we're thinking about honey that comes from the figs, which actually was part of the blessing of uh, the land of Israel. Now, since it is customary that we eat um, a variety of fruit on the 15th of Shvat today, Perhaps it would be um, important to take a look at some of the laws that pertain to um, the eating of fruit in general, um, and particularly when we think about the various blessings that are made upon that fruit. So we're told in Jewish law that when you eat fruit of the tree, so if fruit is grown on a tree, whether um, or not it is part of the meal, um, we recite a blessing, Borei Prihaetz, before we partake of the fruit. Um, Hamotzi, which may have been said at the beginning of the regular meal, um, so we sit down, we make Hamotzi on bread, we understand that that then is kind of the cover for all the other blessings of the foodstuffs that would be ordinarily part of the meal, but when it comes to fruit, we pause for a moment and we take a look at the fruit um, as something unusual within the meal, something significant, and therefore it warrants making its own blessing. This is unless, of course, the fruit is like a relish um, that is eaten together with the bread. If you eat the fruit separately, you need to make a blessing over the fruit, even if you're in the, the midst of the meal. If you have a variety of fruit before you and you um, want to know what you've got to do, we recite the bracha over the fruit according to Jewish law, which you prefer, the one that you like the most. And the bracha then actually covers them all. So if you have a whole lineup of different fruits, which uh, many places, many shuls, many households have today, you could make or you would make a bracha on the one that you prefer the most and um, it covers all the others. If you have any of the species of the fruit that are mentioned in the Torah, with reference to the praise of Israel, which are the olives, the dates, grapes, figs, or pomegranates. So any of those fruits, olives, dates, grapes, figs, or pomegranates, you would recite the blessing over those fruit first, um, even though you may prefer a peach or an apple or uh, one of the other fruits that may be on the table. So we... Um, talk about all the different fruits that Israel is blessed with. Now, we do not say a bracha over food or drink until they are in front of us. So you don't say a blessing um, until you actually have the fruit on your plate in front of you, on the table in front of you, or in your hand. If you did um, say a bracha and the food was brought before him afterwards, he should recite the bracha again because um, there was nothing to which the first bracha could apply at the time it was made. But if the food and drink was prepared in another place and he knew at the time of the bracha that he would find them in their place, um, you're not required to make another bracha. So this really applies to all foodstuffs. It's kind of um, where you don't make a bracha when you're driving down your driveway knowing that there's going to be food on your kitchen table. You actually wait to see it before you make the bracha. You might be in for a surprise. It might be something different to what you actually made the bracha for. If you recite the bracha over fruits that are before you and afterwards are the fruits of the same species or of another species whose bracha is the same as that of the first are brought before you, you're not required to make a second bracha. Some differ, however, with regard to this din and they hold that a second bracha is not required only if the latter fruit is of the same species as the first. It's proper to take care initially to have it in mind that your bracha should apply to whatever will be brought before you. In the case of a guest, even if various species were later brought before him, his first bracha 
suffices both for the species which had already been brought before him as well as for the species um, which it was the intention of the host to serve later. If you have before you a new fruit which you haven't yet eaten in the same season, we say as well the bracha that we mentioned before, Sheikh Yanu. Now this beautiful blessing, of course, is said at various um, essential times of the year. Of course, we say Sheikh Yanu on Yom Tovim, on Yom Tifs, we say Sheikh Yanu at the beginning of our Yom Kippur service, for instance. And we say Sheikh Yanu if you haven't eaten a fruit, if you haven't eaten a fruit, Yet that season. So we would say the Bracha Shechianu immediately after the Bracha Borei Priya So you say the Bracha Borei Priya you follow it up with Shechianu, since the blessing over fruit is constant and the Shechianu is not constant. In which case, what is constant takes precedence. A simple din, a simple law in uh, Torah thinking is that what we call tadir v'shayna tadir, tadir kodem, which means that if there is something that is regular, constant, and something that is not so constant, that is not so regular, the constant thing takes precedence. We say the bracha, which we would always say, that takes precedence over the shechianu. Um, some say that the Shechianu actually takes precedence in this case because Shechianu applies from the time when the new fruit are seen and therefore the obligation comes first um, and some say it should be recited then. If you ever forgot to say Shechianu and you ate, um, you're not required to recite the bracha again. So you were having for the first time today, I don't know, a figure, a date, and so on. You hadn't eaten it yet this season, um, and you forgot to say shechianu. Um, we do not have to go back and say it again. <coughs> when we have a fruit that is grafted, so in other words, when you have two, spe- two species that are uh, grafted together, we don't say shechianu. And if you have before you a variety of new species which require Shechianu, um, we say Borei Priya over one of the fruit um, which suffices for all of them and therefore Shechianu also suffices for all of them. If a variety of fruit is brought before a person among which there are some which has already eaten the same season and therefore is not required to recite Shechianu over them again and there are also some fruit over which he is required to recite Shechianu, then if the fruit which required Shechianu also takes precedence with reference to the regular bracha, he recites both the regular bracha and the Shechianu over it. If, however, the fruit which requires Shechianu does not take precedence over the other fruit before him, he then takes the regular bracha, he re- then says, rather, the regular bracha over the fruit which takes precedence, and when he later partakes of the fruit which requires Shechianu, he then recites Shechianu alone. Now that bracha Shechianu is Shechianu v'kiyamanu v'kiyamanu lizmanazeh, God who has um, given life and who has um, um, allowed us to reach this momentous occasion. It's a very, very powerful bracha about the newness, the renewing, the brand newness um, and recognition of just how wonderful it is to be able to taste and have that uh, beautiful fruit um, that God has blessed us with. We think about the fact that the 15th of Shvat, as we mentioned before, um, is really equally a a time of praises of the land of Israel. It's not just about the fruit, but there is something linked in the praise of the land of Israel. And therefore, it is um, appropriate to think about some of the things that are said of the land of Israel um, in the Torah itself. So, first of all, 
um, you thus find concerning the ways of God that whoever was more beloved takes precedence. The Torah, which is most beloved, was created before all else. The land of Israel, which was most beloved, was created before all else. <coughs> this is what the Sifri tells us on um, the book of Dvarim, on Deuteronomy, where it says that in the case of all lands, each has something which the other lacks. The land of Israel, however, lacks nothing. As it is said, a land in which you shall eat bread without scarcity, you will not lack anything. Sifri on Parashat Ekev. The chosen land for the people that is chosen, and that is the land that will fall to you as an inheritance. Book of Bamidbar. Um, the book of um, of uh, Numbers, it says that God said, the land is mine and Israel is mine. It is the best that I should bequeath my land to my servants. Of course, a quote from um, Bamidbar Rabbah from the Midrash. We talk about the power of the land, the beauty of the land, the grandness of the land, the God-givenness of the land, the fact that this land is a land like no other. Um, it, uh, all other lands um, satisfy their inhabitants at times, and at times they are cursed. In either, in either case, its condition is not in accord with the ways of nature. When it's blessed, its yield is great, even if only little has been sown. Little may be eaten, but the nourishment it produces is great. When it's blessed, nothing of Fails to open its treasures in defiance of the ways of nature. So um, we keep on um, thinking about and referring to the various references throughout Torah about the land itself. When we come to the fruit of the land of um, Israel, um, we have an amazing um, uh, little piece of uh, Torah literature which tells us the following. It says, Rabbi Abba said, there is no greater manifestation of the final redemption than this. As it is said, and you, mountains of Israel, you shall give forth your branches, and you shall bear your fruit for my people Israel, because they have come near. Which is a quote from the prophet Ezekiel, Yecheskel. When the land of Israel will give forth its fruit bountifully, then the redemption will draw near. And there is no greater manifestation of the redemption than this. We also have the fact that it says in her first days, and the land which you crossed over thither to possess it is a land of hills and valleys from the book of Dvarim of Deuteronomy. So um, our sages ask, does not this verse speak of speak in fault of the land since it mentions hills, um, which would mean that it's infertile, it's rocky and it's uh, not plowable. And then does the reference to valleys teach us? What does that teach us? Just as valleys add to the excellence of the land, for level surface of valleys is good for sowing, likewise hills add to the praise of the land. Both the hills and the valleys yield fruit with specific qualities. Fruit growing in the hills are light, and the fruit of the valleys are heavy. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, 12 types of lands were given, corresponding to the 12 tribes. And the fruit of one's tribes, one tribe's land tasted different from the fruit of another's. Um, when we talk about um, uh, the book of Deuteronomy further on it says and he dips his foot in oil we learn from this that the land of Osher was greatly rich in oil it's part of the blessing of um, uh, the uh, tribe of Asher um, that we they were blessed with oil dips his foot in oil it once happened that the people of Lutkia were in need of oil and they appointed an official and said to him go and acquire oil for us for a hundred times ten thousand he went to Yerushalayim and said I'm in need of oil for a hundred times ten thousand they answered go, uh, go to Tzor 
He went to Tzor and said, I'm in need of oil for a hundred times ten thousand. Go to Gush Galav. He went to Gush and he said, I'm in need of oil for a hundred times ten thousand. Go to so-and-so. He went to the person's house, didn't find him. They said to him, he's in the field. He went and found him tending the olive trees. And he said to him, I'm in need of oil for a hundred times ten thousand. The fellow replied and he said, wait for me till I finish tending the olive tree. When he finished his work, he took his utensils on his back and came. The official thought, is it possible that this one has a hundred times ten thousand worth of oil? It seems that the Jews had been making fun of me. When he, the man of Gush Chalav, reached his house, his maidservant brought forth pitchers of warm water. He washed his hands and feet. She then brought forth a gold container filled with oil, in which he dipped his hands and feet to fulfill what was said, and he dips his foot in oil. Bread was put before him, and he ate and drank. After eating and drinking, he arose and measured for the official oil worth 100 times 10,000. He said to him, Do you want more? I have no money. Take, he said, and I will come with you to take my money. He then rose and measured oil for another 80 times 10,000. They said, The man did not leave a mule or camel in the land of Israel, which he did not bring for him for loading. The people of Lutkia greatly praised him. He said to them, Address your praise only towards this person, because all credit is due to him. Furthermore, I am indebted to him in the sum of 18 times 10,000. As it is said, Some appear wealthy and they have nothing. Some appear poor, and they are exceedingly wealthy. Quote, of course, from the Yalkut Shimoni. Back with you after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi and welcome back. Great to be back with you. Yes, and uh, winding down our uh, Judaism 101.9 on this all-important day of Tu Bishvat, Chamishos Bishvat. Um, moving on in some of the praises of Israel, we um, have an amazing statement that comes in the Talmud in Ketubot, where it says, Rami, the son of Yecheskel, visited Bnei Brak, and he saw goats grazing under a fig tree. Honey dripped from the fig tree, and milk dripped from the goats, and both intermixed, whereupon he said, Behold, a land flowing with milk and honey. Rabbi said to Rabbi Preda, Are you not going to show me the clusters in your vineyard? He answered, Yes. He went to show them to him. He, Rabbi, looked far ahead and saw what seemed like an ox amongst the vines. He said, Does not this ox ruin the vine? And he answered him, This ox which you see is a cluster of grapes. It happened that a person had a row of fig trees. He came and found a fence of honey surrounding them. Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta said, It happened that Rabbi Yehuda said to his son in Sichnin, Go and bring us a dried fig from the barrel. He went up, and upon stretching forth his hand, found that it was filled with honey. So he said, Father, there is honey in it. Rabbi Yehuda answered, Immerse your hand, and you will bring up dried figs. Rabbi Chizda said, It is written, and I have given you a precious land, a deer-like inheritance in the prophet Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah. Why is the land of Israel compared to a deer to teach you that just as a deer does not have sufficient skin to contain his flesh, it's very tight. Likewise, the land of Israel is unable to contain all its fruit. Quoted from the Gemara in Ketubot, the Gemara um, and the Talmud of Exubus.
So we have amazing praises of the fruits of Israel. And the fruits of Israel are unique. They are very, very special and beautiful. And they depict not only the land flowing in milk and honey, but also the rich, rich blessings, the rich brachas that um, lie behind all of this fruit. And I'd like to suggest today that if we think about one of the um, essential reasons why why the 15th of Shvat um, was and is this special day is the new year for the trees, it has to do tremendously, it's everything to do with our tithes, with the tithes the farmers had to give for those fruits. It was recognition of the fact that our Tithing, our giving of, ch- of tzedakah, of charity, our supporting of the things of the Beit HaMikdash, of the temple, of Torah, of Torah institutions, learning, mitzvot, and so on, is um, an essential ingredient in the growth of the fruit of Israel. Um, because what God does, or what God has um, showered upon the land of Israel with all this produce is to produce all this rich and wonderful fruit but it cannot be done and it is not done and it is of no consequence really unless it is correctly and properly utilized by us by man that's not only to acknowledge godliness it's not only to recognize the power of Hashem in creating that fruit in the first place and making all these delicious delectable delightful um, things that we can eat and ingest and enjoy But it's also recognizing that there is an obligation to utilize them correctly, not just not to be gluttonous and not just to waste them and take them for granted and disrespect the trees, the animals, the world out there in nature, but rather to understand that God wants us in turn to be godly in the way that we act towards all of these things, that we may have these um, incredible fruits and these incredible gifts that are given to us, but unless we tithe correctly, unless we give tzedakah charity correctly, unless we um, you realize that um, God has given us wealth and he's given us all of these um, wonderful things to have at our fingertips to be able to utilize unless we utilize them for something holy for something special in fact we are degrading in a very, very big and real way, we're degrading that fruit, we're degrading that produce, we're degrading nature in and of itself. Nature is there for us to utilize, but to utilize correctly, not to um, uh, utilize incorrectly from a physical point of view, and nor to utilize it incorrectly from a spiritual point of view. Our tzedakah, our charity, our tithes, our recognition of exactly when the tithing year begins and ends is of paramount importance to the success of that produce. Back with you right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Kia Odom Eitzhasodehu, the Torah tells us man is like the tree of the field. In which way is man like the tree of the field? There are myriads of different levels, strata, and answers to that question. Just one which I find inspiring and unique is the fact that a tree actually is selfless. The tree produces fruit, and that fruit is not for its own use at all. The tree cannot and does not consume, it doesn't eat its own fruit. The fruit is there for others. And is that not what each and every one of us are meant to be? Trees, not just trees in the field, but trees that produce fruit of a very, very... 
clearly, physical and spiritual kind, that others are at liberty to come, to pick from, to take, to enjoy. Of course, not to take advantage of, but to be able to utilize in a um, selfless fashion. The tree stands, produces that fruit, gives it out to others. Isn't that the most incredible image of what we as individuals are supposed to be? And on Judaism 101.9 today, if that is the only lesson that we take out of Tubishvat, I think it would be well worthwhile. We're meant to be like the trees, giving, caring for others, not selfish, not wanting or worrying about what is it that we can take and what we can consume, but rather how am I going to feed other people with the most beautiful produce, the most beautiful fruit that I believe that I, with God's help, have managed to produce. I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a wonderful rest of today, uh, of Tubishvat and a good Yom Tov for today. And uh, wish you all a wonderful Shabbos up ahead, great Shabbat up ahead. And I look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9.